What's my pet peeve? Messy cat litter. Those furry little pads turn into cat litter super spreaders, leaving the already been used litter scattered across the floor for your bare feet to discover. The solution? World's best cat litter's new load tracking and dust control. It's quick clumping, made from corn so it doesn't stick to paws like clay, and specially formulated to stay where it belongs, in the box. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter for a happier, less littered home. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Xzone Radio TV. For more information on the Xzone Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.xzoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Welcome, welcome, welcome to CC with BB. Yes, I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Tell you a little story. A few months ago, three flies got trapped in my office at home. I wanted to help them get outside. After a few days of hunger, I guess, they slowed down. So I started talking with them, saying stuff like, I'm your only way out. Come land on my hand and I will take you outside. After a few minutes of being patient and continuing to talk like that, one of them started to circle around my right hand and circle a little bit, circle a little bit more, got closer, got closer, and then he landed quietly right there on my right hand. I kept calm in my excitement and escorted him to freedom. Well, that was fun, and then the next day, I spoke to the other two flies, saying the same thing, hey, look, I'm your only way out. The you know, land on my hand here like the other guy. So one of them did land on my hand in much less time than it took the first one to do that. Had the second one learned from the first? These events illustrate morphic resonance, the idea that nature has a memory so that subsequent flies can learn from the first. Also, that we can communicate with animals in ways most humans do not expect. Our guest today is a world expert in both morphic resonance, a term he an idea he has discovered and invented, and human-animal interactions. He is Rupert Sheldrake, 
who is a biologist and author of more than 90 technical papers and nine books, including Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work. He is the co-author of six books. He studied at Cambridge and Harvard. As a fellow of Clare College, Cambridge, he was director of studies in cell biology and was also a research fellow of the Royal Society. He worked in Hyderabad, India, where he served as principal plant physiologist. He also lived for two years in the Benedictine ashram of Frater Bidi Griffiths. From 2005 to 2010, he was director of, the, of a project studying unexplained human and animal abilities. He is currently a fellow of the Institute of Noetic Sciences in Petaluma, California. He lives in London, is married to Jill Peirce, with whom he has two wonderful sons. Welcome to the show, Rupert. Good to be with you, Bennett. And very glad to have you. Could you, t- could you you've done this before, but for our for our audience, could you please talk something about morphic resonance? Resonance, so they have some idea of some of your background thinking. Yes, um, morphic resonance is the idea as a kind of memory in nature. Um, in its most general sense, it says that the so-called laws of nature are more like habits, and also that each species has a collective memory. Um, Each individual draws on it and contributes to it. This is a bit like Jung's idea of the collective unconscious, except I'm saying this is true of everything in nature, everything self-organizing in nature. Animals, plants, microbes, even crystals and molecules have a kind of... What do you mean by self-organizing, please? Well, things that organize themselves. And, for example... A plant organizes itself. It grows. You put the seed in the ground or it plants the seeds in the ground. It just grows. An animal organizes itself. An embryo grows by itself. A crystal crystallizes itself. A molecule. One of the revolutionary things that you bring is that the genes aren't enough of an explanation for the plant and the animal. Yes. Well, the point about self-organizing, you see, is the things that don't organize themselves are machines tables, chairs, spoons, yeah. um, you know, man-made in- tools and things. And unfortunately, our model of nature in mechanistic science is currently dominated by the machine metaphor that says everything's a machine, animals are machines, plants are machines, and yes. The, yes. the genes are part of a kind of mechanistic organization process that's just machine-like. What I'm saying is, no, they're not like that at all. That, um, that self-organizing systems have a kind of memory. It's a memory of form that shapes the developing animal or plant. And it's also a memory of behavior that shapes the instincts of an animal. They're like inherited habits of the species. Yes. Yes, I, I think you're pointing very directly at the Newtonian idea that the, the universe it works like a clock, where the machine idea came from. And you're saying... Wonderfully, no, that's not true. No, it's just the machine metaphor is perfect for machines. <laughs> very bad for the rest of nature. And, you know, contemporary science is brilliant about machinery. You no know, smartphones, the internet, jet planes, brilliant. Um, but, you know, not very good at understanding human consciousness, ecology, our relationship with the balance of life on the earth, all those kinds of things, it's rather disastrous. Um, so, yes, I, I think that the, um, we need to move beyond that machine theory of nature. So, so and you are helping us do that. Uh, well, you, you mentioned some similarity between morphic resonance and Jung's collective unconscious. Could you talk about that, please? Well, Jung thought that we all tap into a kind of collective memory which is what he called the collective unconscious, that contains archetypes, which are sort of collective patterns of experience, like memories, collective memories. Um, And, you know, like everyone's had a mother, so there's kind of lots of memories of mothers that contribute to a kind of mother archetype. Um, So there's this idea of a collective memory is very much part of Jung's psychology, And what I'm saying is that 
morphic resonance which says that everything that's self-organizing has a collective memory. So Jung's theory is not just something special about humans, um, it's part of a much bigger way of philosophy of nature or science of nature, showing how science can actually work, uh, how nature can work. You've, you've had some difficulty uh, getting these ideas across to conventional science. What's some of the objections that you've heard? Well, when my first book on morphic resonance came out in 1981, um, it was denounced by the editor of Nature. I mean, lots of people liked it. So the people who liked it most were I probably Jungians, were some of the people who were most supportive and helpful. But um, the editor of Nature hated it because he said, if this theory was true, it would mean that nonsense like the idea of the collective unconscious uh, would receive a scientific validation. And since it's obviously rubbish, that would means this idea is heretical. And he called my book a book for burning. So this was, um, you know, there were some very angry reactions against it. But there wasn't, he didn't advance a single argument about what's wrong with the theory. He just said it's unnecessary because... Um, you know, within 10 or 20 years, we'll have figured out how minds and how inheritance works in terms of genes and molecular biology, nerve impulses, brain scans, and so on. Um, we'll just understand everything. We don't need a new theory. Um, it's superfluous. So his argument was simply saying it's unnecessary. Well, that was in 1981, and we still haven't figured out the nature of consciousness, how brains work, how minds relate to brains, how developmental biology uh, takes place. And the supposed supreme role of the genes um, has turned out uh, not to be so, just as I expected. The Human Genome Project um, was in the year before the year 2000, uh, uh, widely expected to you know, expose the nature of human nature at the molecular level, enable us to understand ourselves as never before. It turns out, in fact, that the Human Genome Project doesn't predict very much, and um, it doesn't even explain the inheritance of things like height very well. It only explains about 15% of the inheritance of height. Um, height is 80% heritable, which means you can predict the height on the basis of parents. Uh, you can predict the children's height with an 80% accuracy. Um, genes only explain 15%. And the bit that isn't explained by the genes is now called the missing heritability problem. It's a crisis within science. It's a crisis. Uh, 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 we're getting to the end of this segment, but the, uh, there's a distinction I'd ask you to comment on. The Jungian collective unconscious filled with archetypes, as Jung would have it. Uh, sometimes I read from Jungians that those archetypes uh, aren't aren't memories, they are already existing in the unus mundus, this collective area of the something that where um, the archetypes exist. So the I, I like the idea that they are memories that continue to evolve, because I think that's what's happening. But are you familiar with the idea that archetypes exist a priori? Oh, well, that's part of the Platonic philosophy. You know, yes. Plato had the idea of archetypes beyond space and time that underlie all of nature, not just of human experience. And um, I think what, what these people are arguing is something that's going back to a kind of platonic conception, which is not evolutionary at all. Um, it treats them as eternal forms or ideas. But I think Jung was more in favor of an evolutionary view, a memory view, which is what I'm in favor of too. Yeah, it makes much more sense to me, and I'm glad you I'm glad you clarify that. Um, well, we're coming to the end uh, of this segment, and this has been an excellent introduction to the ideas of of morphic resonance. As we talk with Rupert Sheldrake about the idea, and and uh, and our next segments, we're we're going to get to something about uh, animals and telepathy, and some of Rupert's experiences in researching telepathy. You're you're listening to. Connecting with Coincidence, I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, on the X-Zone Radio Network, and our guest is Rupert Sheldrake.
It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. ...sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. Shamanic healing is the key to personal empowerment. Why? All four levels of our being physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, must be addressed for us to enjoy balanced, healthy, abundant lives. Yet there are few provisions for spiritual or energetic healing. Shamanism, found at the root of all cultures, is a very effective spiritual healing modality. To find quality shamanic healing you can trust, regardless of where you live, look no further than find your Path Home Long Distance Shamanic Healing Program. All Path Home Long Distance Healing Practitioners have been trained and certified through Path Home Shamanic Art School. Change your life. Live abundantly. Schedule a long-distance shamanic healing session with Gwilda Wiecka or one of her quality practitioners today at findyourpathhome.com. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and we are talking with Rupert Sheldrake. And we've been talking a little bit about Jung and uh, the clarification uh, just heard between the idealism, platonic idealism, and the ideas that memory evolve and memories in the collective unconscious and memories of self-organizing beings uh, also add to a kind of collective unconscious for all self-organizing beings. Some very good ways of thinking, very clear. When a, how, how is morphic resonance and synchronicity related? How are they related? Morphic resonance is primarily a theory of habit. It says that patterns of events that have happened tend to get repeated. And so it's not really quite the same as synchronicity. Synchronicity is about unexpected things that are not habits. Otherwise, we wouldn't think of them as surprising, synchronous, um, uh, or remarkable coincidences. Um, so, I frankly don't have a very clear understanding of how synchronicity works. I'm talking now about meaningful coincidences. Yes. Uh, Jung's uh, definition of synchronicity was rather muddled, in my view. It, it is, it was. <laughs> yes, it, it, it included things like telepathy. Yes. And, you know, I've done a lot of work on telepathy, and that is a distinct phenomenon. You know, if you think of someone, uh, you want to call them on the phone, then you ring them up, and they say, I was just thinking about you. Um, 
I don't think that's synchronicity. I think that they've picked up your intention telepathically. I've done a lot of experiments on that and shown that telephone telepathy is a real phenomenon. Uh, you can do actually experimental tests. I could explain them if you like, but uh, this, this is, these tests show that telepathy is a causal influence. Uh, a lot of mothers have a telepathically connected to their babies. The baby may wake up in distress while the mother's shopping or at work a long way away, and um, the mother can't hear the baby, but uh, many mothers find their milk less down, their breasts get ready to feed the baby, their breasts tingle, they start squeezing out milk, and most mothers just assume their baby needs them, and they're right, and I think that's telepathic, not synchronistic. So some categories of synchronicity, you know, I don't think are particularly puzzling, I, I think they're telepathic. Some people find that puzzling. I think it's a normal form of communication within animal and human groups. Um, so uh, the meaningful coincidence part is much more puzzling. For example, Bernard, the, um, I had a synchronicity just yesterday. Ah. Been, uh, you had asked me to sort of fire up my Skype, which I hardly use. Uh, so I'd fired up the Skype and I was thinking about you. And, um, and then I went down, I was downstairs we were just about to go out for dinner uh, when my doorbell rang and a friend of mine who lives nearby uh, appeared at the door and he said, oh Rupert, he said, a friend of mine has just sent this book for you and asked me to deliver it. He thought you'd be interested in it. And he handed me a book. It's called The Many Faces of Coincidence by Lawrence Brown. And on the back of it, there's a puff, an endorsement from none other than yourself. Well, I thought, here we are. I'm doing a, a discussion with you about synchronicities, and someone uh, delivers a book on synchronicity while I've just been thinking about you on the eve of our discussion. I thought, well, there's one, um, a, a remarkable synchronicity about synchronicity. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I call them meta, meta, meta coincidences, coincidences about coincidences. Uh, and there are lots of those. They're, they're kind of fun if you like meta, and I do, and I think you do. But that, that is, that's a great one. And uh, every once in a while, uh, people who I interview, um, like you, report a coincidence going on as this as you just described before the meeting, before the interview, but sometimes it happens around the interview before and afterwards. Uh, and sometimes I, I, I've been, I was reading something in one book about coincidences and I interview uh, another, a person about coincidences and he tells me almost the same story that happened to him. And th that seems to happen as if there is a predisposition, I call it a coincidentiality, a p potential for coincidences to happen. And they happen around this, this show sometimes. And how do you think about that coincidence of that guy showing up and my name's on the back of the book? Well, I'd first explore the idea of telepathy that, you know, I've been thinking about you in coincidence. He's been given this book to give to me, and he telepathically picks up what's going on in my mind. I'm thinking about coincidence. Uh, he picks up and he says, oh, there's that book on coincidence. I'd better deliver it to Rupert. Something like that. That's one possibility. That would be a kind of causal telepathic explanation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, we can't really test that in retrospect. Um, um, if, but if it's not that, then I find it very baffling. I mean, I don't, I'm sure you, you've thought about this much more than me, uh, but I don't really have a, a clear theory of meaningful coincidences because the fact they're meaningful, the fact they seem to fit into a pattern, suggests there's some higher level pattern that's linking together seemingly separate events. Yeah. That goes beyond my morphic resonance theory, which is about regular patterns in nature, you know, plants growing, uh, spiders spinning webs, you know, uh, regular, regular repeatable things, crystals crystallizing. Well, the higher level pattern idea gets to an archetype because that's where Jungians think uh, coincidences or synchronicities take place, at least some of them, uh, that, that in this non-material realm, uh, the archetype influences the mind-matter connection because the mind and matter are part of the same thing, part of an archetype. Yes. Well, I suppose they can also be under some kind of intentional control or influence because 
you know, I, I pray, a lot of people pray, and, um, I, you know, petitionary prayer, I ask for things and pray for healing about people I know and so on. Um, a lot of people who pray um, say, well, of course, it doesn't always work, you don't always get what you ask for in prayer, obviously not. Um, but um, sometimes it just seems to make coincidences happen. Yeah. I would have thought that that would be another category. You studied this much more than me, but I would have thought that prayer, where you are actually creating an intention, a thought field or a thought form, as theosophists might put it, um, uh, may actually help to stimulate or create the conditions for coincidences. I think that's true. Uh, I think that's very true. Uh, one of one of the ideas I got from some of what you've researched uh, comes from a a telephone telepathy um, experiment you did with sisters, where uh, the, if you had one out of four people calling uh, with a listener, the receiver not knowing who was calling, they could pick out the their sister calling uh, almost 50%, if I remember correctly. Uh, would you re describe that experiment and, and see why, if if I'm remembering correctly, the what it is about being sisters that makes that more likely? Well, this is an experiment um, I did. Actually, this one was filmed for television, and people can see it on my website, uh, Um I did it. I've been doing a lot of these experiments, and then a TV company wanted to do it with me, and they said, well, you, we can't just do it with ordinary people. This is TV. We need celebrities. Um, and so they, I said, well, you can't have random celebrities because... Telepathy only works really between people who know each other well, who are emotionally bonded. And they came up with a girl band called, a 1980s girl band called the Nolan Sisters, and five sisters. Uh, and the, my general experimental design, as you say, is that one person's the receiver. She was one of the sisters, and she was a mile away in a hotel room. And I was with the other four sisters um, in a separate building. And I picked the caller at random by the throw of a die. Um, then I took the other three sisters away, we chatted about something else, and the sister who'd been selected spent a couple of minutes thinking about the subject, her youngest sister. Um, and then she dialed her on a landline phone and called her. And when the phone rang, the, 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 um, the subject, uh, the youngest sister, had to guess which of her other four sisters it was before she picked it up. She was being filmed. And by chance, she'd be right one in four times 25%, and she was, as you say, right about 50% of the time. It was a significant statistical result. And um, that's the kind of evidence for telepathy I've been collecting. And I even have an online app, or actually a web app, um, a mobile phone, a cell phone uh, procedure that anyone can do these tests at any time um, with two other people, uh, anyone who's listening who wants to try that if they're in the U.S. or Britain, can actually do it by going to my website, sheldrake.org, and going to the Take Part uh, menu and uh, try a telephone telepathy experiment yourself. All right. Uh, uh, we're getting to the end of this segment, and one of the, one of the ideas that I have still wonder about is how is the telepathy related to morphic resonance? Yes. Well, have I time to say talk about that, or should we leave that for later? We'll leave that for the next segment, because I think that might take a little bit of time. Uh, but the, the idea that being bonded closely has something to do with an ability to pick it up. And just for our listeners to be clear, that exp in that experiment, the youngest sister could pick out which one of the other four was calling her at a 50% rate. She could select the one sister out of the four that was doing it. Is that right? Yes. yes. And you know, can see this experiment for themselves, as I said, on my website, sheldrake.org. Okay. So you see uh, the experiment going on. Okay. Okay, we're coming to the end of this segment. Uh, we've been talking about telepathy and morphic resonance. And in our next segment, we're going to be talking about the relationship between morphic resonance and telepathy. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And our guest is Rupert Sheldrake, and his book is Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work.
you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxone Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. CC with BB. Yes, I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Biden, MD, and we are talking about, we are talking with Rupert Sheldrake about the relationship between telepathy and morphic resonance. I'm really glad to ask you this, Rupert, because I have wondered about this for quite a while. So, how do they relate to each other? Well, morphic resonance is a memory principle. Telepathy yes. is not a memory principle, it's sort of more or less in the present instant. Um, yes. So, um, how they relate is that. Morphic resonance, being a kind of memory uh, principle, helps connect together members of social groups. Uh, social groups have what I call morphic fields, um, you know, like flocks of birds. All the birds can fly together, they can change direction quite quickly uh, without bumping into each other. They know when to turn and they know where the others are going. I think it's coordinated by a field. And a bit like a magnetic field coordinates iron filings. Um, you know, they respond to something bigger than themselves that includes them. And I think social groups have morphic fields. Families, for example, or groups of friends or football teams. Um, or um, dogs and cats that become part of a human family. They're part of a social field with their human companions. Um, now, these interactions that take place um, have a kind of memory within them. You don't get an instant field. A, a family doesn't become a family instantly. Uh, this requires, you know, months, years of interaction. Um, same with close friends, same with therapists and clients who quite often have telepathic connections. Um, so it takes time, and the morphic resonance is a kind of memory of those past interactions, and the memory... Um, which binds people together in uh, a shared uh, history of experience within uh, social bonds. Now, when people are bonded to each other in that kind of way, uh, they remain connected through these bonds, even at a distance. Um, so, say, uh, somebody is bonded to their dog, the bond is bonded to them, they uh, go to work, let's say, and when they decide to come home, the dog can pick up their intention and starts waiting at the door. This is a phenomenon I studied and wrote about in my book called Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home. Yes. I, it's a kind of telepathic response. Uh, and um, it doesn't happen as a matter of routine. It's not based on hearing or sound of familiar car engines or anything like that. Um, 
I could go into the details, but basically that's a form of telepathy, um, which um, depends on a kind of history of relationship. Dogs don't do it with strangers, they don't do it with people who they've only just met, or when they've only just become part of a family, it takes time. The closest parallel in physics, uh, or in the whole of science really, established science is um, quantum non-locality. If two particles have been part of the same system, they're part of the same atom, for example, um, like two photons that have been emitted by the same atom or molecule, um, they remain uh, non-locally connected even if they're whizzing apart at the speed of light. Um, so a change in one instantly affects the other. And in, independent of distance. Um, Einstein called that spooky action at a distance, and he thought quantum theory must be wrong because it predicted this. <coughs> but experiments show that quantum theory was right, and this is now being used in quantum computing and quantum cryptography. It's also called quantum entanglement or quantum non-locality. So I think what's happening in telepathy is not exactly that quantum process, that would be too reductive to try and reduce it to subatomic particles. Um, but I think it's analogous to that process. And the key thing in quantum entanglement is they have to be part of the same system to start with. And that's true of telepathy. It just doesn't happen, or at least hardly happens at all, between total strangers. Uh, whereas almost all the cases, I have a huge database of these cases, almost all of them occur between, you know, husbands and wives, lovers, best friends, close companions, therapists and clients who had transference and counter-transference, um, you know, twins, uh, um, members of teams, uh, people who've got social and emotional bonds. Today, uh, right before uh, our discussion, I received a text message from an ex-patient of mine, um, and he said, I was thinking of you. And what he had sent was uh, about quantum entanglement and connectiveness between two people. And not only are we talking about it, which is not surprising, but I am writing the explanation chapter for my new book, uh, a, a textbook of coincidence studies. And I am in, I am mired somewhat in the discrete in discussion of qu the quantum mind or non-local mind, and it's to get him to email me or text me about that subject while I'm in the middle of it is another reflection of probably the many cases you have uh, collected of between patients and therapists, among other things. I haven't seen him for a couple of years, and I rare, rarely hear from him, but here it happened right now. So under the way you're thinking, um, he and I formed um, some patterns of connectedness. We formed a morphic field together. And that morphic field uh, doesn't seem to have dissipated very much so that he could somehow pick up what I was reading and writing about. And he could stumble across something he was reading and think of me and then send it to me. Exactly. That's the kind of thing that happens. As I say, I have a huge, I've got 12,000 case histories on my databases. And probably um, a hundred or two concern, you know, therapists and clients or people who have professional relationships. Um, another, uh, an example similar to that, my literary agent in New York told me that uh, she had files from authors that she, you know, they're sort of dead files. The authors hadn't written any books. They hadn't sold anything by them for some time. And then she was cleaning out her filing cabinet and throwing away the files from these people. She'd quite often get emails from them in, from them in the next day or two. So <laughs> don't throw me away. Don't throw yes. me away. Uh, I'm interested in this. Uh, use the term coincidentiality, the circumstances that increase the likelihood of a coincidence. And I include telepathy under coincidences just generally. And I do not have one explanation for all coincidences. I want to be clear about that. <laughs> there are different explanations for different coincidences. And one of the troubles in this new developing field is that people just want one answer for all of them. <laughs> they are different. And you're making that very clear about telepathy. And I have a question about telepathy and and morphic fields, because there's a link that I'm trying to make. The morphic field, 
sets up the stage increases the likelihood of a telepathic connection between the two people. But then there has to be something that links the thought of one of them to the morphic field so that then that thought gets transferred to the mind of the other person. How do you conceptualize the way a thought interacts with the morphic field then produce the telepathic response in the other person? Well, I'd say the thoughts are often intentions, um, like the intention to telephone someone or the crying baby. Its intention is to alert its mother. Yeah. Conscious intention. Um, and the a dog picks up its owner's intention to come home um, and, you know, starts waiting because it feels that intention. So it's, it's usually something related to a need or a call. Um, there's a whole class of cases that occur in emergencies, um, many cases where people suddenly think of someone they haven't thought of for a while, um, or even have an apparition of that person, and it turns out that at that moment they've had a serious accident or they've actually died. And uh, that also works between people and dogs. I've got more than 100 cases of dogs that mysteriously started howling when they're or, or showing other signs of distress when their owner was away from home. Um, and uh, it later turned out that was the moment at which the person had died or had a serious accident. So um, there, that wouldn't necessarily involve them focusing on the dog, or but it would certainly involve the dog or the person picking up their need or the fact that something very serious had happened to them. Yeah, I, I think need is critical. When I review my cases of coincidences, the common themes of what increases coincidentiality include life transitions or major or life changes, uh, the death of someone, an accident, a sickness, include need, as you're mentioning, and includes relatively high emotion. These things come together in various combinations to predispose towards having coincidences take place. But I'm still trying to picture, and maybe uh, we can't do this, but there's the morphic field. There's a, a need being broadcast into the morphic field. And somehow that need, because of the morphic field, can get picked up by a receiver. How do you conceptualize the need, the intention, going through the, relating to the morphic field, getting into the mind of the receiver? Well, I think the, the, if there's an intention directed towards a particular person, then it, we could almost think of it as the field provides a medium that connects them, and then the intention is like beaming something towards that person, wherever they are. Um, that would be, um, I mean, it's, these are any metaphors, of course. Yes. Um, uh, I think that where there's an intention, um, then that's relatively easy to understand. Um, I think the kinds of coincidences that are created by intentions, where the response is something quite different from a person you know. I mean, uh, one example. Well, let's, let's 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 go back to intentions and responses in our next segment because I think this is an important idea because I talk about simultaneity, which is something like what we're talking about. You're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Our guest is Rupert Sheldrake, author of his recent book, Ways to Go Beyond and Why They Work. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, 
Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We are having a wonderful discussion with Rupert Sheldrake. And let's talk about intention as we were ending our last segment, Rupert. Well, I think that the coincidences that occur in response to intention are particularly interesting. I mean, these apply both to um, just intentions that people just have, but also in terms of focused intentions that can happen through prayer. Many, many people pray. Far more people pray than go to church or synagogue or take, have relig formal religious observances. It's very common practice. And then, of course, positive thinking, which is a kind of secularized prayer. Um, um, prayer is about praying to a god or a greater being. Positive thinking is really about uh, the power of the mind, implicitly one's own mind. Um, I myself go in for prayer, not positive thinking, because I like to put these intentions in a bigger context. Um, but they, one of the seeming responses are through coincidences. And one example that struck me enormously um, was I was living in South India in a Benedictine ashram, and um, 
there was a, a young man there who was very fervent uh, Protestant Christian. Um, it was a Catholic ashram, and, uh, but he was very and had a greater sense of prayer and God's action in daily life than anyone else uh, around, um, and prayed all the time about things. I had a folding umbrella, a telescopic umbrella, which he greatly liked, and you couldn't buy them in India at that time. Um, and so he said to me, you know, that is so such a good umbrella. I would like to have one of those. It would help me in my pastoral work in the villages and stuff. And I said, well, how will you get one? He said, I will pray for it. And so he prayed for it. Two days later, I saw him walking into the ashram with a, a telescopic umbrella. And I said, where did you get that from? He said, well, he said, I told you I would pray for it. God has given it to me. And I said, well, exactly how? He said, I was walking along the main road. He said, a bus came past, and just when it came past me, this umbrella dropped off the bus and landed at my feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, uh, for him, it was clearly an answer to prayer. Uh, other people would have called it a mere coincidence, but I can't see how you'd actually distinguish between them. Oh, you can't. Uh, the, the, a coincidence does not mean how an explanation when a word coincidence is used it's without an explanation it looks for an explanation it's the surprise suggests there might be one but once you get an explanation then it's no longer a coincidence and for him god was the cause for yeah. someone for someone outside like uh, some of our statisticians it would be a random event where they say weird stuff happens all the time and this is what uh, this is weird stuff but for him, and I'm thinking pretty closely with along with you, that somehow his intention, and it's more like an intention that's like a new thought rather than a prayer to God, although that's what he did. It was for him, but it was also for the people he was serving. So that his intention had something to do with making it happen. And so if we have an intention that connects with an outcome, it becomes less of a coincidence and more explainable by intention creating help to create outcome. Yes, exactly. That's it. Okay, well, let's go on. Um, let's let's go to your your most recent book. Uh, would you tell us what ways to go beyond and why they work uh, is about? It's about seven different spiritual practices, and all spiritual practices are about going beyond our normal everyday consciousness and linking consciousness greater than our own. Um, so, in this book, I discuss seven. Um, the first one I discuss is sports which many people find surprising because um, it's not usually seen as a spiritual practice. Um, but in the modern world, I think sports is the main way in which uh, millions of people attain altered states of consciousness. Um, you know, coming into the present is the aim of meditation. Uh, but if you're um, you know, in the middle of a football game or climbing a cliff or skiing downhill at 60 miles an hour, you have to be totally in the present. You know, otherwise you're dead, um, or, or at least you're out of the game. Um, I, I so strongly believe that. I, I, I played uh, American football and, and baseball, and I was pretty good at it. Um, I won a batting title in high school and was scouted by the Oakland Raiders when I was in college. Uh, and uh, having that football in my hand and an open field to run through, uh, was an exhilarating experience. I had one moment when the quarterback had thrown the ball against a gray-blue sky, and it, and for a moment that ball hung in the air as I ran to catch it. And I still remember that moment. I was in the present, as you are describing, right now with that ball. And then the movie began again, and I caught the ball and went for a touchdown. But it's that being in the present. And I'm so glad you are emphasizing this, Rupert, because sports is a is a way of getting into the present and being right now with what's going on. Yes. Well, that's why I thought it very important to have this news in, in this book. So it's the first chapter. The second one is on learning from animals. And again, uh, we look and learn a lot from animals, partly about psychic abilities, which we share with them, but which they're usually better at than us. Um, and also, again, about being in the present. You know, a cat that's purring when you're stroking it is, seems to be utterly in the present. It doesn't have the default mode network of worrying. <laughs> and 
I think that's one reason so many people keep pets, because the pets bring them into the present. They're through their sheer animal presence, they bring uh, their comp human companions into the present with them. And I think that's why so many people take such pleasure in having pets, and um, why they go to so much trouble and expense in, in, in keeping. And that's why some people say, you spell dog backwards and you get God. Yes. Um, then I have um, uh, some chapters on, on uh, it's a chapter on fasting, um, because that's a practice in all traditions, and something I do myself every year. Um, just, no, no, I, I have, when I'm fasting, I have water and tea, no food for several days. Um, I have a chapter on spiritual openings through psychedelics, because I think for many people in the modern world, especially those raised in a very secular, materialistic environment, um, psychedelics blast open their minds and open many people to the spiritual realm. It doesn't work for everyone, obviously, and for some people they can be dangerous. So it's not an indiscriminate uh, use I'm suggesting, uh, but I'm looking at the role they play in many people's lives. Um, then I have a chapter on prayer, the nature of prayer, uh, what's going on in prayer, different forms of practicing prayer. Uh, then one on holy days and festivals, including the Sabbath and Sunday, Friday for Muslims, and then seasonal festivals and other festivals, times of celebration together, which are essential for community building, for strengthening family bonds, and give uh, a tremendous sense of interconnection. These practices are about interconnection and making us feel more connected. Um, and generally speaking, that makes people much happier and healthier. Um, so there's a lot of research that shows spiritual practices in general make people happier, healthier, and live longer. Um, and the final chapter is on being kind, because if one, if one doesn't do these practices in the context of looking after others, looking after the earth, being responsible for our environment, then they could become purely self-indulgent. Um, so I'm trying to, to put them into the biggest context. Anyway, that's, and then I have a, finish the book by discussing how they work, why such widely different practices can uh, have spiritual effects. I don't think I'm going to have time to go into that right now. Anyway, that's an overview of the book, and I end each chapter with a couple of suggestions for practices that people can do uh, simply and easily to get a taste uh, of these practices if they don't do them already. Well, we, all, we yes, you're right, we don't have much time, but one of the the two things I get, get from what you're describing, and there's more, uh, some of these practices get us into the here and now, which... Um, being with an animal or playing sports can do. And some of these practices get us connected with other people. And, yes. these, and each of these helps to develop a, a sense of something greater. But in the, in the last time we have, why don't you just, would you please describe how you fast and how you recommend people fast? Well, I, I do it myself. I'm a practicing Christian, an Anglican, um, and I do it in Holy Week just before Easter which is in Lent, which is the Christian fasting period. Um, and what I, I do, I, for four or five days, I, I block out my diary in advance so that I keep the days clear, otherwise I get in the way of the fast. Um, I just stop eating, and um, the first day, day and a half, I feel hungry. But like most other people who've fasted, um, after a day, day and a half, you stop feeling hungry, and you know, food still smells really good, but you don't have hunger pangs. It, it gets easier as, as the days go on. Um, and I find it opens up a kind of space, literally. The day seems much longer and more spacious, because a lot of time is taken up with food and eating and preparing food and stuff. Um, I also find that it makes me quite clear in my mind, and um, have more vivid dreams, um, and it's helpful for prayer and for meditation, which is why it's often advocated in religious traditions. So I think it's a, a really helpful practice. It's also extremely good for health. It flushes out the system, senescent cells get broken down, which would otherwise cause inflammation, growth hormones released, giving a kind of 
rejuvenating effect on the cells of the body. And there's tremendous evidence that um, food restriction, having periods of fasting, um, increases health and longevity in all sorts of animals. Mice, for example. I'm really sorry if this is such an interesting discussion, but we've come to the end of our time. So thank you very, very much, Rupert, uh, for being on the show.